Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, Sam Parsons returns to provide an update on Tin Man Elite, a professional running team based out of Boulder, Colorado. Earlier this month, we reposted a conversation with Sam from way back in November 2021 that cues this one up nicely. Sam and I get into the challenges of building, maintaining, and growing the team, influencing the greater professional culture in running, and reflections into Sam's own athletic mortality and what the future might hold for him. Sam's a really engaging conversationalist. I think you'll be entertained and inspired. With that, let's get into it. Sam Parsons, it is a pleasure to have you back on the Single Track Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be back. I really should have rewatched the last episode to make sure I don't like repeat and say the same stuff, but I'm honored to be a returning <laughs> guest here. Well, I, I got to recap. It's been a while, you know, it's been a while. It's, well, I mean, it's been two years and I feel like in this day of age, that's an eternity and a lot happens. But yeah, to recap the previous episode, it was about two years ago. We talked about the formation of the team, sort of the ethos of getting after it in your 20s and 30s, creating your own opportunities in the sport, building a brand around your team, uh, being kind of specific, sort of having like a specific goal, like I think you mentioned like the Nike Oregon project. They were there to win medals. You guys having a, a similar goal of like sending guys to the Olympics. Um, and then we talked a lot about like the content side and how you'll meet on like Mondays and stuff to schedule things. It was fun. I mean, it was, it was a great, I really appreciated your insight into the world. I think there was a lot we didn't cover, which is why I wanted to run it back today. The one thing I will say, we still don't have an ultra trail running specific co-located team in the sport yet. So that was, I think, one of our predictions last episode. There are like some hybrid teams out there, but there's nothing co-located. It's not specific to Ultra Trail. There's no one out there that's saying like, we were built to go win Western States or win UTMB. So there's still how this cool like, open window. Is that nuts? That's crazy to me. Like, like how, like how are these brands not like all in on one thing? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, I don't know, just like with track being so specific with like, yeah, we're going to, like, like you said, like, we're going to build this team to win medals, you know, and hyper specific, you know, it's like, you know, it's even, even in running, it's crazy how it's like, I mean, I guess you could say like BAA, it's like, Hey, we want to, I don't even know if it's a part of their mission statement to like win the Boston marathon or not, you know, but crazy that there wouldn't be even just like a one-off project, even if it's not like a long-term thing, like a, seems like a Red Bull, Ineos, like these guys, it's such a no-brainer to be like, hey, like here's a two-year lease. Let's get the best guys and young guys and train them to just mess everyone up. Yeah, so there, exactly. There's there's still an opportunity. There's going to be some people listening that are like, we have a team, but it's it's hybrid and it's not focused on one specific goal. So yeah, there's still a huge opportunity. Um, but dude, what's it's been two years like talk about the last two years in terms of wins and losses. So like what's changed the most? What do you see as wins? What do you see as losses? Where are you at? Man, um, it's crazy how um, cyclical things can be like in life and in sport, like you see in fashion, you know, baggy pants come back, you know, tight pants, you know, whatever it may be. So I do think that I see these cycles of my career happening like where there's this like youthful ignorance and then there's this come to reality moment and then there's this success and then there's come to reality moment and then there's this youthful ignorance all over again about what I could potentially achieve just on a whole different scale. So 
man, uh, made a world final, you know, made a, made a few more world teams, you know, that's always amazing to represent the country on the largest stage possible. I, yeah, made a world final, fell on my face at a world championships, quite literally hit the deck. So first time ever falling in a race like that. And I put so much mental energy to the point where it just became just utterly toxic. Like the sport became so toxic to me just really? to get to this place where I got to the, I got to world championships through just pure stubborn stubborn will and dedication to the craft while completely losing all those little glitz and glamour stuff that like runners love to say at this level even though like it's partly true but partly bs because of how serious everyone takes it where it's like just have fun enjoy the process all that stuff it's like yeah enjoy the process but like if i'm not have my head up against a cement wall today getting this done like i'm not getting it done on the day it matters so there's quite and i think that's in any professional sports um so you try to find the pockets of fun when you can but more often than not i think when the windows are closed and it's just you versus you in those moments like there's a lot more like toxic energy than people like want to really address and put out there in the open uh and i certainly experienced that head on to the point where i like really got to the point this past year where i was like man why the fuck do i do this you know like is this worth it like i'm am i actually having any fun like we had just our the culture on the team which is something i've always just held to such a high regard seemed to completely slip through the cracks with just people just dragging their feet to practice not wanting to be there losing a, the lack of faith in the coaching staff um we <laughs> had a huge revamp of the team you know there's so much we um need to catch up on and i knew i'd just throw a lot at you there but um it's been a lot of growth a lot of pain you know like everything in life that's worth doing and pursuing so i'm very very fortunate to be in a healthier i'm not going to say like healthy state i'm very happy to be in a healthier state now where i can like approach running in a less <clears throat> I keep saying the word toxic and I wish I had a better vocabulary, but just in a more healthy way. It seems like when you think about like the hero's journey, you're in the belly of the beast phase of the hero's journey and you're about to return back to the common people with some amazing insight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'll take that. I'll take that for sure. I definitely think it's like when you first start in the sport, you know, there's this, um, kind of like youthful wave anything you do is just amazing it's like oh this race would be cool this race would be fun like great learning experience you know and then there's okay but now i actually want to get it done and then there becomes another point in like any professional running career where it's like okay like now you're a veteran you have things to maybe rest your head on like rest your head on and say i did this and this and this and you know like if you were to tell me you know four or five you know in 2018 when I was just starting my professional career, like I'd be a national record holder. I'd have this and this and sub four, all these things, you know, that I never could have dreamed on. And like, I'm, I'm a huge, big, big dreamer, you know, but never would I have thought I would have been able to accomplish the things I have in my career because of my amazing coaches and teammates and the P and the support I've had along the way. But I'm still just utterly unsatisfied with like what I still want to achieve. And I think that just comes down to like, most professional people's mindset that are just like hyper crazy competitive and unfortunately like i was referring to before like there's quite a dark side that comes with that with like 
never being complacent and all that. Yeah. Quick break to thank Knack for supporting the show. Knack is the official nutrition partner of Singletrack, and you've heard me talk a lot about their mission, their products, and why I'm into what they're doing. But one thing I haven't talked a lot about that I'm pretty excited on are their race-specific nutrition quizzes. Uh, these exist on their website, and you know, with races like the Black Canyon 100K on the near horizon, you can take these quizzes, enter all your relevant information like height, weight, sweat rate, race day goals, and it formulates a nutrition plan right down to the precise aid stations on each of these courses. It's awesome. Go check it out for yourself at knack.com. And while you're there, if you end up buying some product, feel free to use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. With that, let's get back to the conversation with Sam Parsons. What is the, I don't want to say best, but what is the most satisfying answer you've come up with so far? for why it's still worth it to build this team and work on your athletic career? I don't want to say it's because of legacy and ego and narcissism at this point. Like, I really hope that's not the case. I think the thing that motivates me the most and, you know, I just couldn't be, we have this huge new injection in life in the team specifically. Like we have, we signed five new runners, men and women, you know, like two, like woman right out of college, which is something that I feel like I've been talking about wanting to do since the inception, but was so hard to recruit women and get them to buy in. Yeah. The motivation, to answer your question, the motivation comes from knowing that my years here within this sport are coming to an end. This is the final chapters. I am not going to be the running journeyman that's you know setting master's records or uh, or doing all that, um, or pursuing it well into their thirties. I don't think my girlfriend would accept that <laughs> lifestyle, um, just cause she knows the wear and tear it puts on me. And, you know, I wake up every morning in pain to some degree and that's most professional runners I'd say. Uh, and the thing that motivates me is, um, wanting to, wanting to watch this thing like I don't want this to be just another track club that popped up and was like a cool thing and then just disappeared because of a lack of funding um, or a lack of sponsorship or the coach left you know it's like we've weathered so many storms now with like the de the firing of a coach you know and then dealing with that shit storm that happened after that you know with people leaving to feeling like the whole team is injured to what happened this past year with seemingly our core group of people leave the team. Um, and I just want to see it live past me, you know, like I want to be into my thirties and I want to be watching, you know, Elliot Kipsang and Anthony and Antonio and all these guys, you know, like ripping it and running with the same pride I had for something that was hopefully greater than just them. And that's the biggest, the best motivator right now and our contract with adidas is up in 2024 after this year and we kind of have this like big team we just had a big team retreat and big summit where we kind of all came together and it's like look like we're all chasing this team contract together you know now it's not just like one person trying to get a, their own contract it's like how can we all perform up to a level to gain the attention of adidas to resign this or if adidas doesn't deem us valuable enough to resign than, you know, pursuing other options if it has to come to that. Did I hear you say earlier that there is a, there's a dark side to never being complacent or a dark side to discipline? Is that what you were saying earlier? Talk and talk more about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like 
I think there's a dark side to never being um, satisfied. You know, it's like you're, it's always on to the next thing. And I think there, that's the mentality you have to have in this sport in order to constantly be a shark, you know, because if you want to swim with the sharks, you know, you have to be one yourself. And the minute you get thrown into a new pool, you have to all of a sudden like fight for your own and fight for that chum bait or whatever it is um, that's at stake in order to continue to survive. And in our case, it's, you know, Milrose games this weekend and the next weekend it's a Boston 5k and then it's the you know Oslo Diamond League and then it's the national championships you know it's like you're constantly fighting for your own survival in the sport to put it in a more like prehistoric way and the minute if I if I were sitting here and said oh yeah I've done this or I've done this like I'm gonna race great this weekend I'm gonna get my I'm going to lose every little piece of fish that comes my way, you know, because there's some, there's someone else that hasn't accomplished that yet, or there's someone else that has a more defined competitive spirit where they don't care about what they did before. And it sucks. That sucks, you know, because people tell you all the time, like, enjoy the process, have fun, you know, like, um, find, find fulfillment after every race, like reflect and do all those things. And that all that stuff is so important, but you need to find this balance, which is seemingly impossible without being incredibly, and this is where the darkness comes in and being very hard on yourself, you know, where it's on to the next thing. Nothing is ever good enough. You know, it's like, you know, I had a conversation with Joe Klecker recently about this, where it's like, he had an amazing year last year, you know, like he was running sub 13 5Ks every other weekend at these Diamond League races, competing with the best runners in the world, and then going to USA's and qualifying for, you know, outside of maybe like an Ethiopian 10K team is just about the hardest team to make out there, you know, um, against, you know, Grant and Woody and all these yeah, yeah. sharks and qualifying for a world team. But then he ran like shit at Worlds and he'll say that to himself, you know. And that's, and that's what he lives with now. He's thinking about that race, you know, and that's driving him, you know. And I'm sure that it's hard for him, just as it is for any runner, to just look at, to not look at the sum of things, but it's just what have you done for me lately? What is the last thing you've done, you know? So it's this constant state of, like, battling, enjoying it while keeping your killer instinct in order to continue to compete at the highest level. You said sharks there and like the killer instinct in your experience, because you've, you've been right up there at the very top of the sport. Is it that rare combination of talent plus monomaniacal focus slash insatiable fire is like in the latter part of that, like the difference? Maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And then I think you have like the and then I think you have that. I think that what you just said, you know, all those qualities is what like a true veteran in the sport is, you know, it's like, those are people that make it. Those are people there year after year after year. It's not just a flash in the bucket where, wow, they had an incredible season and they're there this one time, you know, because they were enjoying it and they were just living in the moment. And they were just like, had this youthful ignorance, like I was saying before, where it's like the world is their oyster. They can do no wrong. Might as well go out there. And you see that year after year where everyone's cheering on this, like rookie or someone that just came onto the scene. Like I think about like, Niels Loris, like the Netherlands kid last year who made the 1500 meter final who like, I'm watching him in these heats and it's like, okay, this 18 year old kid or whatever, you know, is like 
he made like he made past the first round and he had this crazy last hundred meter kick, but surely he can't do it again. And then he made it to final. And then in the final, I'm like, surely he's not going to have the kick again. And he's just positioning himself perfectly in these races. And I can only assume that it just comes from him being so naive in what he's actually doing that he's just free to run, you know, and there's, and there's so much beauty within that where next year he's going to then think about, okay, how did I do that? How do I do that again? You know, how do I get to that point in fitness and, you know, all those factors start pouring in again. So yeah, you need to, you need to have the full package to make it, you know, um, and I think that most people in the sport, like, lack one or the other, you know, whether it's like they can really enjoy it or, you know, they'll be not competitive enough to, you know, never give up their spot, you know, and then they miss the final because of that, because they're afraid of falling. You know, I look back at the moment when I fell in the race, I was moving out, you know, like uh, it was 600 meters to go and I started to move out. And usually when you fall in a race, you basically get automatically get pushed to a final, you know, it's like, it's this, like, it's honestly a joke amongst professional runners that it's like, Hey, if you're not going to make the final, like you better at least fall, you know, um, (laughs) because then you might get a shot, which sucks that that's like the culture that is jokingly within that world at the international level. And when I fell, I immediately jumped up and started sprinting again because I thought I would have a chance at making it regardless because of how good I felt before. And the adrenaline, I just went fully lactic and I was like, whoa, I'm done. Uh, (laughs) uh, But regardless, I was not complacent in that moment to just stay inside and be boxed in. You know, I moved out. And at the same time, the Kenyan in front of me, you know, moved out just enough. And that one inch of, you know, I need to move out and push some people, even though there's not a spot open, because if I don't take this opportunity now, I'm going to get swallowed up by everyone else coming by me. And his foot came back and simultaneously as my foot came forward and as it was trying to land, his foot swung back and just bam, I just fell. Uh, And I had no idea how it happened. And I just assumed... Like, I felt like an idiot, you know, when I was getting interviewed by the German media afterwards, I was like, 100%, it wasn't my fault. Like, I literally said that, you know, I was like, I didn't do any, like, I moved out and then, like, I assumed he tripped or forward or someone clipped me from behind. Like, it happened in such a moment's notice that before I knew it, I was, yeah, eating the track and had Stewie McSwain on my, quite literally having his shoulders in my back or his knees in my back. (laughs) I want to go back a little bit earlier. You were saying like you're in your late twenties, you look great, but you're waking up every single day or a lot of days in pain and you're conscious of your timeline. You just said you don't want to be this running journeyman. When I listen to that, I, th- I have even more respect for like the Bernard Legats of the world and like the, Garrett oh. Tom- and like the Garrett Thomases in cycling. I'm just like, you guys are like, and it makes the whole decade of your thirties that much more like mystical to me i'm like the fact that these to know what's required in your 20s but then to be able to do that again in your 30 it's just it's insane yeah i'm um i'm reading the book now open by andre agassi it's his autobiography and he does a amazing job writing um and articulating through his words what it really feels like to wake up in the morning and it's these moments before you wake up where there are these like awful moments of like, how am I going to feel? You know, how is 
my in his case his back how is his back going to feel you know and like he knows that the first moment of him getting up is going to be this moment of doubt and agony and not agony is an extreme way to put it maybe for him at times it was you know but he was getting cortisone shot cortisone shot in his back in order to continue his career and he says himself like he hated the sport of tennis like he hated it that like the thing that he quote-unquote love devoted his life to like he hated it and I feel like that is the relationship that you can have in the sport when you do push yourself and give everything to it is it ends up taking so much to the point where you can hate it and yeah you know like I've this whole like when I was saying how toxic it was for me to get to the world championships like to do a quick timeline is basically like I came off an interseason um, you know, 13, 12, um, six at European indoor, um, nationals, and then, um, just feeling like I'm ready to light the world on fire outdoors. And that was just the starting point for that year, you know? And, uh, I had a kick, I had an Achilles flare up after just getting some stupid cross friction massage on it when I shouldn't have done that. And it blew up like a balloon and it took forever to get the swelling out and get back. So then I was playing catch up, going into outdoor season, pushing myself, not having the base under me, but doing these VO2 max workouts, knowing that's what I needed to do to get back into the fitness level. I needed to compete at this level. And it was just a constant game of like catch up and knowing that my body's not at 100%, but still competing at a high level. And man, to push your body when you know you shouldn't can be just so draining you know to every capacity where it just consumes everything you know even doing mundane tasks like if you would have asked me to do a podcast you know eight months ago I would have told you to you know fuck off you know <laughs> like I, can't, I don't have time to reflect or talk to you know someone else right now about like how you doing you know <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, you know like I'm in a great place now and like the pains in the morning are minimal and that's a great thing. But yeah, you know, it's like you wake up in the morning and you're like, how, like, I'm supposed to do what today? I'm supposed to do this workout today. And then, you know, you warm up, you, the legs wake up and all that stuff that all those muscles that are telling you to stop, you know, all of a sudden feel great. And then you can get it done that day. So it's just that cycle. So, yeah. Do you think your 80 year old self would back you up for having punted your thirties athletically? Um, I hope so. I hope so. Like, I'm certainly going to do a lot of cycling when I'm done running. I have always said that I want to run a beautiful marathon. I don't know if that's something I said in in our last podcast two years ago, but, um, I think that I, I don't want to use the word judge, but when I see a runner go through their whole career and they just run 1500s or they just do 800s or they just do 5Ks, you know, I just, you are a great 1500 meter runner, you know, um, but to be a great runner in in my definition, you need to be able to do everything. And, and that's why I, you know, I'll be the eight year old man always saying, and partly because I got to compete with him so much uh, and get to know him. Um, is like Jakob is the greatest runner of our generation, you know, obviously Kipchoge also in that same boat because of they do, they do everything they, and in Kipchoge's case, he did everything, you know, like, 
Um, maybe to the everyday runner, people think of Kipchoge and they just think like, oh yeah, the master of the marathon. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. He's the master of running because mm. he beat Mo Farah head to head in three Ks indoors. You know, it, you know, he ran at the world cross country championships, you know, like he did everything, you know, um, competed at the world stage in five Ks, you know, global medals in the five K like that's the Kipchoge. Like I know, um, from watching those races and studying those races and seeing him, do that same smile that is now famous when he broke the sub two hour mark, you know, with two miles to go or whatever. It's like, I saw him do that in the 5k, you know, 10 years earlier. <laughs> and Jakob does everything. He doesn't shy away from any competition, you know, and he runs, yeah, European cross country championships. And I'm sure he'll run an amazing marathon one day. I think he'll probably break the marathon world record one day. Um, I really, I put zero limits on that guy. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Jakob, if you wanted to right now, he, I mean, maybe not right now because he's dealing with an Achilles issue and probably dealing with the same thing I deal with where you wake up every morning and you're like, this sucks <laughs> because he has pushed himself, um, so hard, but 5k world record, 10k world record. I think it all translates and he'll be able to run, you know, 445 or whatever it is. 440 pace or 430 what is it <laughs> i think you'll be able to do it <laughs> but i want to i want to be known as a great runner that's that's what i wanted to finish with i want to be known as a great runner because i did everything you know and uh i want to run a marathon and uh whatever that means to me beautiful then i want to do that so certainly something on my bucket list is it going to be in a professional capacity Probably not. Maybe a brand gives me the opportunity to represent them in that way. But um, if I'm working full time and doing it, then I'll still do that. But other than that, uh, yeah. And obviously Olympian. I still got to do that. Also, thank you to Rabbit for supporting the show. Rabbit is the official apparel partner of Singletrack. And you've heard me talk about them over the past two months. But I have become almost an everyday user of their new Cocoon 2.0 product. It's this advanced sweatshirt with a built-in turtleneck that pulls up into a secure hood and breathable face mask. It's got thumbnails and watch windows to keep your hands warm without a fuss and a water-resistant finish and fleecy interior for the most comfortable protection. I wear it on my runs. I wear it while ski mountaineering. It's the real deal. Um, winter's here, you know? So go check it out if you need to upgrade your kit Grab one and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout when purchasing for 20% off your order. With that, let's get back to the conversation with Sam Parsons. So is it, is it fair to say that in the next one to two years, one of the objectives is to create something with Tin Man Elite where the team could live past you if you were to step aside? Right. And that's kind of what I was talking about before is like, I think recruiting all these new runners um, that are, you know, 23 years old that are, you know, have full of life in their eyes and want to do every race possible. That's the start of it, you know, bringing on new sponsorships in order to sign another four year deal in order to see it outlive me and to, you know, create to create in a way, you know, like right now, like we are sustained like very much through like our sponsorships through Adidas and Koros. Um, and those are our lifebloods in order to like support our athletes from like a monthly standpoint. And then our product then is able to support everything in terms of bonuses. And when we can, you know, sell product well, like that means more money in the pocket for our athletes um, to pay out at the end of the year or whatever we can possibly do. So, you know, like we're building out our running camp more and more like Reed is taking the reins on that. We had like a nice soft launch this past summer with about like 30 kids 
um, for like four days. And we might do like across two weeks this year. And just finding those ways to, you know, find um, sustainability is so important. And there's so many different routes that you can take to find that, whether it's through individual donors, which, you know, we have one of those now also um, that helped us launch our women's team Hmm. and through sponsorships, through these organizations. But it's a never ending process. And I think the people that are willing to hustle for it, you know, and put in the time and effort. It's easy to talk about all this stuff, you know, like it's like, as, as you know, like with your podcast, like it's easy to say you're going to release an episode weekly and maybe at the start it is easy because you're three episodes ahead or whatever. But then all of a sudden, like getting a guest is hard, you know, and then finding someone else is tough, you know, and then figuring out what's the next conversation that will engage people, you know, and like constantly challenging yourself to continue to, think through things and not stagnate all that stuff and spending that time critical thinking is something that I think we we do that weekly and we challenge each other and we have like an open forum where Reed can tell me hey Sam can you do this or I can say hey we need to update the website and we're constantly working on that stuff and we're not just like waiting for someone else to do it for us like we picked up we picked up the reins on our own horse if you will and that hopefully will lead to the longevity that you talk about. I was thinking about ways that you guys collectively, Tim and Elite, have influenced the sport. And one of the ways I think you guys have done it, correct me if I'm wrong, is you have made it easier to get to know professionals in the sport. Like when I think historically about the sport, there's maybe two guys, Prefontaine, um, Carl Lewis, Meb, who like you felt like you knew but a lot of people have kind of taken the path of like Galen Rupp sort of being secretive. Do you feel like that's been a change you guys have impacted where like there's now a culture of uh, more like forthrightedness and, and not hiding stuff like that? When I think back at our early, early conversations of Tin Man Elite, I remember distinctly talking about exactly what you just said. Like I remember talking about myself Reed and drew in a room together and being like yeah like we feel like when we were growing up in the sport like we didn't know we had no idea like i had no idea what evan yeager was actually like even though all i wanted to do was know that you know and then when flow track would make those small you know inside the program or driven series i was able to just dive into that you know and then that would be my only way of knowing that and i think that one thing that I hope that we did was we force other teams to showcase and to storytell and do those things for everyone, you know, so that it is accessible to know anyone from the Evan Yeagers to the, you know, um, Eric Holtz to the, you know, to everyone like within the running spectrum, whatever like sport it is, you know, I think that like, I think there's, I think we created a blueprint in order for other teams um, to copy, which is amazing so that they could grow their own social media platforms and like basically just showing them like, Hey, look, if you want people to care about this sport, you know, like you have to showcase your athletes constantly, you know, and like tell people where they're racing. And, um, it has to be more, I think that like, I think it was inevitable with or without us, um, within the social media world, like they would have picked up on it, but like we were kind of at the start of the Instagram boom within the running world where it's like, no one was taking videos of themselves on workout days. You know what I mean? Um, 
like you would need to, like I said, like have FlowTrack come out and film it for you. And then they post it on their sites, you know, and then the only photos when I was a high school kid um, that would be posted from professional runners would be professional photography when they were at a diamond league or at a world championships or at a U.S. championships. And then they would maybe say something about their race. Like that's the only content I ever got, you know, and all I wanted to see was, yeah what Evan Yeager was eating and, you know, like, you know, just the stuff you love about YouTube and you get to see that stuff. So yeah, I hope I, you know, I hope Tim and Elite was a part of, you know, ushering, ushering that in. And it certainly was one of our mission statements early on was to be able to figure out how we can actually like connect to our audience. And it still is something where when I was talking to the new uh, recruits at our team retreat, and I was kind of doing my little product spiel since I head up the product side of Tim and Elite's business. I was telling them, like, for me personally, the most fulfilling experience is when I go to a race, whether it is a 60-year-old man wearing a hoodie who just finished his first marathon um, to a, you know, 13-year-old, you know, high school kid that I see in the stands wearing something that I was able to be a part of in some degree and, like, what that logo means for me. Um, to then see it on them and then all of a sudden they feel like they're a part of this community and they feel accepted by me and I accept them and vice versa it's just so beautiful you know Um, and that's what is a huge driver for me to keep doing the work outside of just running on it Uh, and yeah certainly and I told them I'm like look like you guys might not get it yet but the more years you run for this team and the more you see that like the more you're going to appreciate like seeing those people when you go to races so and just out and about like I was in California and I saw a kid at the track just that I randomly pulled up to uh, in Torrance California and it took him probably like you know I don't know you know two or three minutes to come up to me once I was like done my drills and stuff um, just watching with his friends and then it's like yeah are you Sam Parsons and um, I was like yeah man and, and he like pulled out his bag like Tim Manley sank it and he was like I wore this today on my tempo run bro and, you know, that was the coolest thing, you know, and I was feeling like crap. And I was like, man, this this afternoon workout might go really bad. And like, it was just a shot of adrenaline to my veins to be like, yeah, you know, like, this is so cool. This is worth it. You know, all that, like any pain I feel in the morning, it's worth it, you know. <laughs> on, a, on a different topic, I'm thinking about like the the possible necessity of like rivalries and, and trash talk in the sport. And I'm wondering in your case, did you guys ever have another group or a person to act as like a foil for what you were trying to do? Like there was like a healthy level mm. of like antagonism and stuff like that. Or was it always kind of like you guys versus just like the status quo? I think that, I think that we probably talked like early on, it was Bowerman for us because like Bowerman was like the gold standard. Like they were the highest, like we were by no means like rivals to them, but we wanted to be their rivals. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like the series A team. It was like the series B team, like going up against like a premier league team where it's like, if we score or we tie them, we win, we make them look dumb. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they have all the resources, they have this, you know, historic coach, you know, they're Nike, they're the ones on the pedestal, you know, like, so I think early on, it was like, when we would show up to races, and like, the one story I'll like, remember, and it's like, once again, to them, meaningless, to us, it was everything, where we showed up to Occidental Track, and it was like a 1500 meter race, 
and Drew and I were in the race and like we look at the start list and like somehow I got into the fast heat and like you know and this is this youthful ignorance I was talking about before where it's like can do no wrong like who cares what happens um for them it's a tune-up race they they maybe have a hundred miles in their legs who knows you know what I mean but we wanted to beat him more than anything you know and there was like I, it was like Mohamed, Chama Gordy, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe Evan was in the race too, but when it came down to like point scoring, you know, like Drew and I beat out their three guys or whatever, you know, and uh, that rivalry was for us so meaningful to drive us and everything, and I was, I'm trying to think like today um, in present time, I wish our team had more of a fire to be like screw those guys those girls like they're not beating us today because that i come from that sort of like fiery energy and mm. i personally have that with individual athletes like you know like ben flanagan for example yeah. like ben flanagan has beaten me more times than i've beaten him and i hate him for it you know what i mean <laughs> and like i like he he ran like the sound running race he signed up last minute for like the sound running race this summer when we were both in this position where we're like last ones in first ones out for the world championships and he knew he had to come do this 5k or else like me and a couple other guys were gonna bump his ranking you know and he had to come last minute and do this race and he just he just sat on my ass you know what I mean like he sat on my ass until like 400 to go and kicked my ass and I was pissed off and after the race I was like I knew you didn't, I knew you were only at this fucking race because I'm here. You know what I mean? And, and, and he was like, yeah, I know you, you signed up for it. And you and, and these other Kai Robinson and Kieran turned you know, you guys are all the guys on the bubble and I had to, you know, it's like, I didn't want to do this race. And there's that competitive fire where there's a respect and there's, we're like Ben and I are friends, you know what I mean? But man, I want to beat him more than I want to beat anybody. Like along with, you know, other Europeans. And I think for me personally, like the OAC guys, are I think like the current standard of like excellence in our sport where they're seemingly untouchable with whatever they do with whatever race they go into so whenever you can you know beat an OAC guy like it's a great day and I think any professional runner would say that so but a hardcore rival like we don't have but I certainly think that like we've talked about doing like a four by mile against OAC and it would be this David versus Goliath story once again for us, you know, and like we're, we have always thrived being in that position where it's like, you know, you know, like they have their fancy gym with all their woodways and, you know, alter G's and all that, you know, and like, and there's that kind of like, yeah, if we could beat them when they have all that, you know, resources and stuff like that would, that would be awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that that'd be, yeah. I got to imagine that 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 fire is so tough to screen for when you're trying to recruit athletes to the team. And like one of the things that I'm thinking about is if there were athletes out there in the sport that you could have on Tin Man Elite, not necessarily for their talent, but because they would set the precedent of being like, like a cloned version of your personality. Who would they be? <laughs> um. I think I think Drew Bosley is the first person that comes to mind. Like I think Drew Bosley like hates hates losing, and I think uh, I think I saw that like firsthand like at indoors last year when I was like watching him at the national championships where he was like I think by far the most fit runner there, 
um, and he wanted not only to beat everyone, but he wanted to show everyone that he was the strongest. And he ended up getting beat. But the way he ran those races were him, you know, like grabbing the reins with a mile to go and being like, I'm going to make everyone hurt. Like, I'm going to drag everyone out in deep waters, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so like, I think he definitely has that swagger. I, 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 I bet I bet if on that NAU team and I could be completely wrong. I've only met Drew a few times, but I bet Drew was the most like, we're not losing to fucking BYU. You know what I mean? I could just see him being that role on that team more so than anyone else. Who knows? Maybe Nico is that guy. I don't, I don't, I don't know them well enough, but, um, Drew is one of those guys. I'm trying to think of the younger guys. Well, have you influenced, has your personality rubbed off on members of the Tim and elite team? Do you feel like you've influenced a culture? I try to, I think that, uh, I think that I, I, I would say Joey used to be very, um, more complacent, just happy to be here type of mentality. And I think he has adopted it more so than anyone. He would never, ever give me credit for it. Uh, <laughs> um, but he certainly goes into steeple races and I'll hear him talk about it where he's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to lose to this guy this weekend, you know, or I'm not going to lose to Isaac Updike or, you know, like I won't, I'm going to beat him. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is, you know, like, uh, so I'd say Joey's probably the biggest one, you know, like I, uh, Antonio, our, our newest, uh, Spanish guy from Virginia tech. Like he's a, just a great racer, won a ton of races in college. And, uh, He's like insanely type A, like insanely type A. And I couldn't be more less type A as, as I'm, you know, like 10 minutes late to the interview and trying to figure out my Chrome account. <laughs> um, and uh, it's funny. Our, our, our dynamic together is very funny because he'll go about everything very methodically. And, you know, we need to do it this way, this way, this way. And I'll just be like, let's just get to work. You know what I mean? Like, um so I'm trying to influence him as much as I can. But uh, Austin Miller, he's another guy, um, younger guy, D2. Nobody really knows his name yet. Uh, but I think that I can get in his ear and he'll really listen um, to be like, yes. Like he was talking to me the other day about like how he wants to how he wants to break four in CU, me and him together. And I'm like, you realize the only people that have ever broken four on Colorado soil are the on boys in a workout where they all could help each other perfectly paced, you know, and they went on to run like 728 for 3K and 13, you know, or 1250 something in the 5K, those guys, like the following week. I'm like, you need to be insanely strong to break forward altitude. And, but he had that swagger, you know what I mean? To say it out loud. Um, He had that unwarranted confidence and unwarranted confidence is one of my favorite things in this sport i've like given speeches at like running camps just about unwarranted confidence and how like it's a beautiful thing to be able to have that where you can say that you're going to do something and accomplish something um before you have any damn right to be saying it um at all and i'm not talking about like a goal that you might be able to achieve i'm talking about something that like you have no business thinking that way And you will probably fail in your pursuit of that goal of like while having that unwarranted confidence. And like the story I tell in that is like the race I had at Wisconsin where it's like I had no business at the time 
trying to race against Sean McGordy, Justin Knight, those guys, Grant Fisher, like those guys were already running at world championships. You know what I mean? Like I was like a, I was like a trying to break 29, you know, flat 10 K runner, you know, and I tried to beat them in a cross country race and I, and I failed, but I succeeded because I had that unwarranted confidence to even get close to it. And that's kind of the virtue within that unwarranted confidence is like, you will fail in that pursuit, but in that pursuit, you are going to achieve something that you never thought you could anyway. Yeah. What is it like? Shoot for the moon. You'll, you'll still hit the stars. Something like that. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Same yeah, exact yeah. concept. I dig it. I dig it. All right. I know we've only got you for 10 more minutes. So I, I got three more questions for you. First one. Can we play, can we play stock up or stock down? Let's do it. All right. State of running media. So Sidious, flow track, let's run, et cetera. Stock up or stock down and why? Uh, I'm so critical of this one, you know, just because like, you know, like stock up in terms of where it was four years ago, of course, you know, of where it should be still stock down, you know, um, like we're running, the running world is still light years behind, um, where we should be in terms of like promotion. And, um, I mean the way I like the way to put it simply is like, imagine a world where Sidious Mag all of a sudden disappears or let's run.com disappears like these seemingly lifebloods of our sport in order for people to get news and information and knowing when things are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like what if those were gone all of a sudden, like what would be there then there wouldn't be anything. And then the sport would be in disrepair. So stock down in regards to having enough media outlets that are covering the sport. But that is also a credit to them in the sense that there would be a huge loss there if they were no longer there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's why, like, I, I remember when Cities Mag first started and I, and like, I try my best to do it with, with any media running company I see popping up is like giving them anything that I possibly can, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I was on one of the first Sidious podcasts, you know, where like Chris Chavez, people didn't really know Chris Chavez, like before he worked for Sports Illustrator, ESPN or anything, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's important. And I think it's important for all the athletes to be accessible and open and supportive of the, of those people. And it's like, I see it more and more because Merber is so close and was colleagues with all these people that they're so willing and eager to be on and do these things. But it's also on the athletes to not be these recluses and willing to come on the shows the same way you know football stars are get get going on espn it's like it's a shitty example just because of all the shitty stuff he's been saying recently but it's like aaron Rodgers coming on the pack mcafee show all the time you know it's like that stuff needs to happen you know in order to do it and i feel like there's a lot of pros out there that wouldn't dream of going on the let's run.com podcast or getting interviewed by them just because of something that some stupid person said on a message board you know you know what i'm saying but anyway that would be super good that would that would be a great podcast just like responding to internet trolling like like a runner feels compelled to defend their runners couldn't handle it runners couldn't handle it come on (laughs) We, we, we all live in our little bubbles. No one ever pops our bubbles. Come on. We get one negative comment and they're broken down. <laughs> well, dude, I, I, feel like, I feel like you brought it in this interview. You didn't have to, but you did, and I appreciate it. So uh, appreciate it. credit you. to you. But um, a couple more questions. We got, dude, we got Andrew Bumbala coming to the Ultra Trail Running World. 
next month. Yeah. Running uh, the Black Panther. Bumbleo. Bumbleo. Sorry, Bumbleo. My bad. Ben Blankenship. I saw that. I saw that. Very exciting. Who should be next? Um, probably Joe Klecker. You know, like get get him out on like a fifty mile race. You know, break Charlie Lawrence's re- recent record. Shout out to him. I think it was like in the Klecker family before that, so he's got to go do that. And uh, yeah, Klecker is just a grinder. Fifty k races would be, uh, it'd be, he'd be a problem. He'd be a problem on the trail running scene. <laughs> Last question. So assuming you're doing something different in the next decade of your life, are you going in-house or are you continuing this entrepreneurial journey and building something new? The the team was joking with me when I left for LA because of this frozen tundra that swept over Colorado that uh, they all were saying that, oh yeah, Sam is building out the, a new LA team without us. <laughs> I would love to be able to, it would, it would be a dream to be able to have a brand, um, hand me some of the reins to, um, kickstart another, uh, another Tin Man Elite or something to that degree. That'd be really, really fun, uh, for sure. So I guess that's more out of house in a way that I'm still working directly under a brand or sorry, that's in house, right? If I'm working directly for a brand in that regard. But um, <clears throat> I would say more likely than not. Now I have my now I have my um, amazing uh, girlfriend in the back of my head. Prob probably gonna work internally for a little bit, you know, security. <laughs> little little less risk involved, you know. Not, don't have to just be happy with selling a few shirts here and there. <laughs> As it's gonna be very hard to. It's gonna be very hard to not just just. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be, um, yeah, I have no idea where it's going to take me. Like I, I certainly am going to pour my heart and soul into whatever I'm doing. And I hope that, uh, I'll want to, I feel like that's something where, uh, it's very hard to find, you know, and it's very exciting to see you continuing to pour your heart and soul into this podcast. You know, it's something where when we did our podcast two years ago, um, if you would have told me, you know, you would have been, you know, the premiere trail running podcast um in into the space you know um probably wouldn't have believed you dude there were three listeners back then it was it was myself my sympathetic girlfriend and my mom who's my biggest fan <laughs> that's right that's right and 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 you did not give up despite that even though i i mean what is like what's i know there's some crazy like analytics around podcasts right where it's like podcasts fail like in the first like three months or give up or something you gotta keep going you gotta keep going yeah, the grind, man. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for the round two. At some point, I got to have you on for round three because there's all sorts of like e-com merch related questions I have for you that I think could be interesting. But uh, I know you got a boogie. So thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with before we go? <sighs> um, probably you'll never see me in a trail race. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I think that maybe, maybe that discredits what I was saying before about being an all around great runner. Maybe, maybe Ben Blankenship is on this new horizon uh, that I haven't even thought about because I haven't even opened myself up to that consideration that when I was saying before about being a great runner, you have to do everything. Maybe a hundred mile race is part of that new criteria. I don't know if he's just been reading too much, too, 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 too many David Goggins books or 
something, but uh, he certainly is out to suffer. That much I know. Uh, but kudos to him. Uh, looking forward to continuing to follow on, fo- follow along the um, the rise of the trail running world. And uh, yeah, appreciate you guys listening.